Father in heaven, Lord, we we come to you, God, again, just thankful for um, what you've accomplished in Christ. Lord, I thank you that we were able to sing about that. And Lord, pray that this would just be a continuation of our time in worship, really, God, that we would be able to examine your word and that we'd be able to be encouraged through just the, the different topics that we seem to be covering together today um, to bring about this change in our hearts and renewed perspective, really, that your that your word would come and do what it's intended to do, to split us up deep within us where we can't even see, piercing between bone and marrow, and, and tear us apart and break down all the things that we build up on our own. And then, God, to be faithful to build us up piece by piece so that we are able to leave different than the way that we came. God, may you continue to uh, recreate us into the image of you through Christ. Thank you for initially doing everything and initiating all of that by sending him that Christmas season. And Lord, as we celebrate with the resurrection in mind, with Easter in mind, God, we're just so thankful, God, for the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that leads us to be able to come here, to even open up a book to study. God, and for the faithfulness that you've given us by even preserving your word for thousands of years that we could open it up and study it. God, I recognize that I am such an unworthy um, servant and pray, God, for your mercy and for your grace to be given in this time to connect all the dots that have been floating around in my head and allow them to make sense to someone. God, and that someone have a renewed perspective of just about the importance um, of marriage. God, we love you. We thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so while I'm getting set up here, if you'll open up your Bibles to Genesis 2, uh, we're going to be looking at 18 through 25. And I'm going to set myself here an alarm. Oh, kids' class. If you are a part of the kids' class, if you can dismiss to the back, uh, Miss Jessica is going to take you to the back. Okay, so I'm really excited to be able to have the opportunity to be able to talk to you guys just a little bit. Um, as you know, whenever I've talked before, uh, I easily go over an hour, so this is going to be really hard for me to be able to condense it down to 15 minutes, especially on a topic that Adam gave me last week and it being so large, like marriage. Um, in some regards, I feel the most unqualified to speak on the topic just because I've been married so uh, short a time and because I uh, know my own inconsistencies within my own marriage and my own sin and my own imperfections. I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you sitting back there last week hearing Adam talk about being the man that wants to protect his household, but then at the same time being the same man that doesn't when you walk in with your words a lot of the time. And so the protection around the household that um, that we're supposed to carry as men in our families is something that I'm feeling renewed conviction over just the same. So I'm not an expert on the topic. Um, I guess... Uh, the anything at all, as I was thinking about, is Adam was talking on singleness. He was single the longest. Adam Cloud has had kids longer than all of us, so he's talking on parenting, and I got married the youngest, which some would have said was uh, an unwise decision. But I, I don't regret it a day. Um, so as you're flipping to Genesis 2, 
18 through 25. I just wanted to kind of catch us up real quick. We're, we're, we've been studying about the, uh, just the creation of man and woman in God's image and the purpose for that and how Adam's been teaching us very faithfully about just the connections between how God's created us individually different and distinct, but at the same time unified with a purpose and that being part of God's divine design, <clears throat> the design behind what he created. Um, most of you know, if not all of you, I teach, have the blessing of being able to do that. Um, just my whole life has just been uprooted this last uh, semester, but it's been placed down in something that I really feel like is God's niche for me. And it's really been encouraging to teach kids about the unity of Scripture since it's a, a, um, a class where we're examining the, um, the overview of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You really have to try to take the larger picture of it and try to be faithful to communicate the thread that connects it all together. Because it would be really easy for me to walk in, and on some days I have to fight against this, walking in and just saying, okay, kids, here's the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms in there, and David wrote over 75 of them. And the longest one is Psalm 119, and some of them are about praise, and some of them are about repentance, and that's Psalms. Okay, and tomorrow come in, and we'll study about Song of Solomon. And this is Solomon to his beloved. And, you know, it's really hard to remind myself we've got to get out of just the individual books and see the thread that connects it all together. And the thing that does connect it all together is something that we've studied before in the past, and that's covenant. It's God's faithfulness to covenants that he's made in the past and the establishment of new covenants here in the church age and the New Testament that we're a part of now. And so faithfulness to a covenant is something that I've been trying to thread through everything that I teach. And so I've adopted uh, a, a quote by John Piper that I've told you guys before in worship times. It comes from his book called Future Grace, and it's, it's like my thesis for my class. And it's really a confidence in someone's future reliability is grounded in a history of past faithfulness. And so a confidence in someone's future reliability or God's faithfulness to us in the future is grounded in a history of past faithfulness. So I have an entire book of stories that we cover week in and week out about people that have been unfaithful on their end of the covenant, and yet God continues to uphold the covenant. Because in actuality, in some ways, he's made the covenant with himself. And that's what's so unique about the story of Abraham, is he puts Abraham to sleep when it's time to make the covenant. And putting you into a deep sleep, and now I'll make the covenant. And so he's faithful for his own glory and for his own namesake. And he does that through Noah and through uh, through. Abraham, and even through Moses when he establishes that conditional covenant. And then especially now in the New Age with Christ, where he talks about, as we're threading through in Jeremiah, he's going to establish a new covenant one day, where he's going to write the law of God on their hearts, and they're not going to turn away from obeying them. And it's, it's going to be different. And so then Jesus shows up, and he lifts up the cup that night, you know, the Last Supper before he's murdered, and he says, look, this is, this is the cup. You know what this guy, you know what this means, right? And all the guys you can imagine are like, yeah, we've been sitting through Passover our whole lives. Say your line and let's go. Let's go through the ritual. And he's like, no, no, no. This is all about me, actually. This is all about me. This is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. And this is my blood. So as covenants are ratified in the Old Testament by blood, Jesus says, look, here's the new covenant. The thing that we've been threading through is here. This is why we rejoice. This is why there's peace on earth, because I've come to establish a new covenant, and it's the covenant in my blood. So all of that's kind of like an introduction in, in my thoughts about how and why we should even examine marriage, because in some ways, when I say covenant, and I say things like 
commitment and faithfulness, what should be brought to mind is some idea of marriage because we use the same terminology in it. But what I'm going to try to really quickly show you is that marriage isn't something that man has kind of created that we thought was a great idea because God kind of put us together and we said, hey, we should hook up and then we should do this and now we should start families and start houses. That's not something that we did and then God came through later and said, now I need something to be able to serve as a good metaphor for my love for the church. Oh, I know, I'll, I'll use marriage because it's, it's, it's a good example. You know, Adam and I, and Adam, we, we may do that, like, hey, this idea in Scripture is kind of like football or kind of like this. And we use created things to be our, I guess, just ways of explaining difficult truths. But God actually creates marriage from the very beginning, from the foundation in Genesis, with the end in mind, knowing that its sole purpose was to image forth the relationship between Christ and the church. So all the stuff that I'm telling you, you haven't heard, uh, it's not new to you, especially if you've come to a wedding that Adam has done here recently with any of the ones that have just been recently married. He goes through all of this. So I'm not going to really be telling you something new, but I do want to cover just something very quickly, okay? So the big thing, the thesis for that I'm thinking about that I want us to keep in mind is that marriage, regardless of what we think about it or what society says about it, Marriage is not about us. Um, so if anything that you wrote down, it would be that marriage is not about us. It's about God. Um, God is the one that put it together. And I'm going to show just really quickly how um, I see that unfolding in Genesis 2. The one reason that I really know that marriage is not about us and it's about God is because God includes the union of marriage in the very beginning with his creation of man and woman um, as as unique in their uh as male and female. He, he includes it in the original design. We already covered this a, a few weeks ago in Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So if the scriptures kind of just stop there as I was thinking, it doesn't really leave you with anything different than what he just told the animals. Okay, here's the animals. You guys have created you, and I've created you distinct so that you can procreate. Now go and fill the earth. Okay, now here's the birds. Go and fill the earth. Okay, here's man and woman. Now go and fill the earth. But it doesn't stop there. It goes to the passage that hopefully you're to, turned to now, and that's, the closer look that we've already examined in a different light in Genesis 2, um, verses 18 through 25. So really quickly, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. And I am in total agreement with that. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit or suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Again, putting people to sleep to do something awesome. Caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. And then the man said, this is at last, or at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, 
because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So Adam, you get the picture. He gets all of the animals before him to name them, and he's realizing there's no one here that is a suitable helper for me. Finally, God puts him to sleep, creates woman, fashions her himself, brings her to him, and he says, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like, this doesn't look like that giraffe. This doesn't have scales like that alligator. This is flesh of my flesh. This is bone of my bones. At last, this is a companion that is suitable for me. And so what's, uh, I just looked through here, and with some help of just uh, outside sources, I'm able to really see a, a few implications from the, from the text that doesn't necessarily outline it. And so one of those things that we know that is pretty clear is actually it's, it's not good for man to be alone. And so there's a problem that God sees, and he decides to fill it in a certain way by creating woman for him. One of the other implications is that beasts or animals or livestock, are they a good, suitable partner for man or are they not? They're not. So they're not what God has in mind. And whether he did that intentionally before this on purpose to show Adam, hey, just to make it clear, we've gone through all the animals. None of them are good. Okay, now we're moving on to what is precious, what is good. Beast is not a suitable uh, partner for man. Woman is created suitable for him by God. And another implication that is seen is how many women are created for Adam? Just one. Okay? And it's a woman. So this is where we get the idea of heterosexual monogamy or one, one woman relationship here. But this still isn't really necessarily any different than the rest of the animals, right? A member of the opposite gender um, is, is together with another opposite gender of an animal, and that's how it's designed. But in some ways, it goes a little bit beyond that because in verse 24, it says, Kinship between a husband and wife overrides the kinship of your own family. So it starts to take on a deeper meaning at that very ending when he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So I'm going to cover in just a second how hold fast and one flesh starts this type of covenantal idea that we can kind of get. This is different than just animals. So besides the fact that God designed it, really quickly I wanted to make sure that you know that it's also all about God, not just because he designed it and like on paper it works and everything's good and he says, okay, go and be this. But he actually enters into the thing that he designed and what did he do? He personally fashioned it together. He personally made the woman, put Adam to sleep, woke him up, brought them together, and just personally made this union happen. So this union is something that is God-instituted, God-designed, but God-performed in the same way. Like God is the one that unites these, this couple together. And so I think that that's, that's important. Um, and lastly, marriage is all about God specifically because God speaks this into existence. So he designed it, then he fashioned it, and then he says, therefore, let man in the future leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife and become one flesh. And this is where the passage is that we talk about the uh, inspiration of Scripture. Because when we're reading the book, Adam's taught us before, this is Moses that's writing it. You know, the quotations kind of end if you're looking in verse 23. It says, because she was taken out of man. And then it goes to the commentary. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Moses is writing that. But we know from Matthew 19, when Jesus is talking, as Adam's taught us before, the, the Jews are coming up saying, hey, can we divorce uh, our wives for any reason that we want? 
for any cause? And he says, have you not read? Have you not seen or heard that he who created them male and female from the beginning said, therefore a man shall not leave his father and mother. So Jesus equates what Moses said with what God said. So I know that's kind of difficult, but Jesus said that Moses said that God said that this is the way that it's supposed to be. So God designed it. He then personally fashioned it and brought it together, and then he spoke it. But what, again, is evidence of it being any different than um, than anything that animals relates is where we get the, the idea from hold fast. And that's something that uh, – I need, like, little bookmarks. That would be helpful. Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10.20. You don't have to flip there. I'm just going to read it really quickly. You can see that language like this is used in covenantal uh, relationships moving forward with Moses and stuff. It says in verse 20, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. So, guys, before you go, this is Deuteronomy. This is the second law or the law repeated. Before you guys head into the promised land and before you guys walk into places that are uh, already uh, plowed, fields are already plowed for you, houses are already built, and you start to forget who brought you here, Let's remember the law. And whenever we're talking about the covenant here, these are the, this is the language that I'm using, and it's hold fast. Don't let go. Hold fast. And so it's very unique that the same type of language is being used in Genesis. So we like to say that this is talking about some deeper, more meaningful relationship than just something that animals have in common. And that is the relationship of that one flesh union or covenant between man and woman. But again, it's not explicit from that text, right? It doesn't say anything in Genesis 2 that this is called marriage or that its purpose is to be some type of covenant or picture of a covenant. It just all is implied. But that's where Ephesians 5 comes in. And so quickly we're going to, if you will turn to Ephesians 5, this is the part where everybody hopefully uses in your wedding ceremony to explain to us the purpose for our marriages. Marriages are, are, are not... Um, unfortunately, uh, talked about or held to the proper light that they should be in our society. Um, love is the same way, right? Disney and all the rest of us would like to say that love is just an open door, right? Um, so it's not, okay? It's not at all. And I was telling my kids that, and they thought that was a lot funnier than you guys did. But anyways, so uh, love, yeah, is not an open door. It's it's actually a closed system because God wants it to be covenantal in nature, and that's why Divorce and sex outside of marriage and all these things are contrary to the original divine design of what's happening. So Ephesians 5, it says, we'll just back up. It says, therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love in verse 1. So verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. So he's going through. I'm setting up the standard here. And at the end of verse 21, he says, give thanks to always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So then he breaks down the section. This is who I'm talking about when I mean submit to one another. We've got wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. So in this aspect, we're examining just the relationship between wives and husband. And it may have been something that he just says, hey, you remember God put us all on the earth and we thought it was a great idea to just kind of get together and create this thing called marriage. And since you're together, just treat each other with love. But he doesn't do that. He goes straight for it. And in this text is where he says, hey, the mystery of this whole thing is profound. 
Because whatever you thought about marriage, I'm here to correct you. It's actually not about you. It's all been about Jesus. It's all been about imaging or displaying the covenant between God and his people, specifically Christ and his church. And that's why it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does as a church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, sounds familiar, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and see that the wife respects her husband. So this mystery, this profound relationship, this deeper idea that we get from Genesis 2 isn't just some example that God is now using because now Christ has come and he wants to show his love. No, everything that we know about faithfulness to anything, everything that we know about covenant, anything that we know about love, all of it's rooted back to the fact that God is love. And he's done everything from his original design and plan to save us through Christ. And so marriage, therefore, is created to be a, an image or reflection of that love. So now if we're seeing that marriage isn't really about feelings, then it makes sense when uh, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says quotes like, hey, love isn't meant to sustain a marriage. Marriage is meant to sustain love. Did I get, did I get that right? That's easily to get reversed. Yeah, love doesn't sustain the marriage, right? Marriage sustains the love. So it's not about staying in love. It's about keeping covenant. So it's, it's improper for us to therefore see that, say we'll take the example of, uh, of physical relationships outside of the church or outside of marriage. When we take that outside of God's institution of marriage, it, stor- it distorts God's truth. So if something is true, and something is not true, then we call the not true thing a what? A lie. Okay, we call it a lie or misrepresentation or forgery. So whenever we take God's precious design of marriage and the physical union that takes place in it, the vows in some ways that are consummated when we come together, and we take that outside and we place it in someone else or be joined to someone else outside of a relationship, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, like, being joined to a prostitute or just to a mutual friend or whatever is off limits because it's now imaging forth some lie. It's saying, hey, this is what the relationship between Christ and the church is like. We come and we're unified, but then after a little while, we can give ourselves to others and things aren't really solid and there's nothing secure. But the one flesh union really quickly is something that I don't fully understand but I definitely see is in Scripture is, is, is wanting to point us towards the unity that we have in Christ. And as I was thinking about it this morning, I was thinking, at what point do you decide you can divide me up in a certain way to, to make me become two? Right? I know that sounds confusing, but the idea is that, of course, you could cut me in half and I'm two pieces on the ground. But it, 
am I really? Like, it's still me. It's still me. So at what point do you divide me and make me two flesh? And there's not really a way to do that because it's me. And so in the same way, when we're talking about coming together in one flesh, that's the type of union that God does. He, he's the one that forms it. He's the one that conjoins it to where it should be the same way that when I think about separation from Sarah, at what point do we separate to where we become two again? We're so closely unified as one that we should be seen as that. But unfortunately in our society, what do we say? Oh, well, the easy way to become two is just to stop being married to each other. And then you're two individuals again, and you can go and be married to somebody else. But though our society says that, and the low view of that is predominant, that's not the way that Scripture gives us the picture of what marriage is all about. Marriage is about that one flesh union and that covenant that's lifelong, single, one lady, one man, together for life. Now, of course, that leads to the problem of there being situations that bring about divorce. And divorce, we, as we've already talked about, as Adam's taught, um, is permitted in some regards when sexual immorality is involved in the marriage in some ways is unable to be healed. But even then, it's not required, right, or commanded. It's just permitted. The idea is to strive as hard as we could to figure out a way to where we could reach the end, completely unified and faithful to one another at the end of it, like we started off at the very beginning. So that at at our old age, though feelings and love and all the other stuff has faded away, our children and the world around us could look at us and say, how are you still married? Are you is all the stuff still the same? Do you still feel the same ways? And that gives us an opportunity to say, look, love isn't about feeling. Marriage isn't about feeling. It's about covenant. It's about keeping a covenant. And so because of that, we arrived to the end. So really quickly, I just want to speak to a couple of the people in the room. There may be people that are not married who do not plan to be married. And so I know Adam's going to touch that later. But just as a matter of encouragement, though God has ordained this he designed it he performs it he commands it and it seems that there's a huge emphasis on this because this is the picture between christ and the church our marriages that we experience for those that are married are serving as examples and reflections of the relationship that you have as a single person with christ and so there there are some aspects of the relationship between the lord and ourselves that we miss by not being married there's the, the main point of what our marriages exist are to point people towards the relationship that you as a single person has with the Lord. And so that is, found, that is huge to me. There's so much hope in that that if you are not planning to be married ever again, that God has unified you one in Christ so much so that's, that's, your, that's your hope, that's your faith. And our marriages are simply a picture of what you get to experience with Christ. If you're not married and you plan on being married, then I would invite you to start considering very early that marriage is not about you. And it's about God and it's about covenant keeping. So don't for a second think that you can get married and then when the honeymoon phase is over and all your feelings start to go away, that it's time to start looking outward, to looking for some other open door, to try to figure out a way to be unified with somebody else. And so that's where like I feel very uh, incapable of speaking on the subject because we've got others like Tom and others that have been married faithfully, for a very long time. Um, so I know that there are others that could speak on that better. And then lastly, for those of us that are married um, and that plan to stay married, um, the idea is that we take a renewed perspective about what our marriages are all about, 
that I as a male would take my responsibility to love Sarah like Christ loved the church, which means I need to lay down my life for her in senses every day, and that's application of last week, and that our wives are able to follow under us as the church does to Christ so that we could, for the momentary uh, length of time that we get to be married, can produce the best picture of what it looks like to be a Christian united to Christ in the spiritual marriage union that we are with him. Okay, Jesus raised that cup and says, this is the new covenant. It's established in my blood. So Jesus purchased, he paid that dowry with his own blood. We're bought with a price, we're not our own. And so those are my thoughts on marriage. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go forward to parenting. So can I pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity just to very quickly cover a topic that deserves weeks and weeks and weeks of study. I pray that Adam would be able to clean up all the ways in which I was unclear uh, but God, I pray, if nothing else, that you would remind us that our marriages that we're a part of are not about us, that they're all about you, that they're used to uh, depict a greater and deeper truth that we, ne- we may not even fully be able to understand, but that we, we stay married because it's about covenant and it's not about love in the sense of the word the way our society describes it now. But God, I pray that you would increase in us the idea of faithfulness to our covenants. Help us to remember the one who has been faithful to us. Lord, help us to image forth properly the relationship that we get to share now in Christ, in unity and in oneness with him. Um, Lord, thank you for the the institution of marriage. And may all of our marriages, uh, again, be pleasing in your sight as we live each day, not for ourselves, but as unto you. Because all things are to be done. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.